Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Alyssa Mages, who is a credentialed veterinary technician and current co-founder and chief visionary officer of Empowering Veterinary Teams, LLC, or EVT. Alyssa is passionate about empowering teams, providing training and encouragement and leadership within veterinary medicine, which we'll get into all those different things. The other day when we first connected, and I think is a skill set that she doesn't list, is she has one of the most exhaustive vocabularies of anyone that I've talked to, and I love that. So hopefully we'll get a little taste of that as we go through the interview. But Alyssa, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, Isaiah, I'm just so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I want to start in a spot where you had mentioned that you are incurably optimistic. Mm. And I want to do just jump in there and talk about either how that developed, if it's always been there, and where do you maybe credit that? That's a great question. And incurably for sure. And a friend of mine also called me incorrigibly optimistic. So I give that full credit to Rachel Morgan. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I think that's a good thing. And I would credit that with probably my mom and my grandmother, her mom, where it's, there's going to be stuff in life that's pretty awful. And you can focus on that and be miserable about it. Or you can see all the other things that are not awful and focus on that instead. And that wasn't always easy. I think a lot of it when I was younger, those angsty teenage years, I'm a 90s child, so <laughs> a lot of Ani DeFranco in my musical library. It was not a survival mechanism, but kind of. If I can just make everybody happy, then I'll be happy too. And it evolved into, well, I actually am pretty happy and I'm very grateful for all that I have. So let's focus on that. And I'm not just falsely projecting toxic positivity because that's a thing. This is where I'm at today, and I'm going to be okay with where I'm at. There's stuff happening, but I'm good today. So I'm going to be positive about that and put a spin on it and make it what it is. Absolutely. I want to dig in a little bit into your past. So you've been in veterinary medicine for 17 years and kind of the start of that and then where you're at today. And then we'll kind of jump into EBT here in a second. Yeah, for sure. So Historically, my undergraduate degree is in marine biology. So that's where my first love, and I've really rediscovered that this summer. We spent some time recently in Florida and in North Carolina, just in the ocean, fully immersed and super happy again. I'm not doing any credit to the accolades you gave me for my vocab yet, but I'll work on that. <laughs> no pressure. So that's where, you know, I've always, that traditional story, I've always loved animals and I want to work with them was, I didn't ever think that applied to me, but then I was looking back and I've always had pets of some sort or another, you know, fish or crayfish, who has crayfish in their fish tank? I did. Box turtles and guinea pigs and all that kind of stuff. Tried and true cat person though. I'm not going to deny that. I absolutely am. So I did always have a love for animals. I just really wanted to be in the ocean. And then... I kind of discovered that the research and the education I loved, but it wasn't enough. And I actually had a swim coach of mine at one point. I was sitting in the lifeguard stand. He's like, so what are you going to do with your life? Is this it? And I was like, oh, ouch. No. I mean, I thought I was okay with this, but apparently I need to do more. And he was right. And so I started volunteering at our local general practitioner, our vet that we took our cats to and did all the walking and the cleaning and the irritating person. It's like, what's this? What does it mean? Teach me this. I'm going to learn all the things. And Moved out to Canada, actually, in 2004 with my husband. We were engaged at the time and volunteered because I couldn't get a work visa right away until we got married and loved it. The more I got into it, if you don't go home bloody, I've worked with many surgeons that have said that it's not a good day, as long as it's not yours, right? <laughs> so really found that surgery was and the anesthetic portion of that, I loved it, was the plan was vet school and be a marine vet because I was still volunteering at the Vancouver Aquarium at the time as well, trying to combine both of them. And I got in and then I found out I was going to be a mom. So I was like, oh, well, I could do that, but that would mean going back across the East Coast. My husband's still in Vancouver, and it's in a state that I have no family and no friends and do this all on my own. And at that point, I was 25. I wasn't ready to do that. So I stayed and let that part of the dream go and then pivoted and ended up getting my nursing degree and finding out that education, I've always been a coach or a teacher in some aspects, really is where my passion truly is. So veterinary medicine and education, it's just, yes. So how can we combine that? Well, I tried pharmaceutical sales. No, not a good fit. <laughs> Did you know, middle management as like the medical manager, the technician manager at a small practice. That was good, but it was general practice and I loved it. And it has a very vital role in what we do, but I've always wanted more. 
what can I do more? What can more? And so got into emergency medicine and really, really loved it. Fell in love with the ER and critical care. And then, okay, anesthesia. Yes, please. Give me all that stuff. So adrenaline junkie, pretty much recovered, but (laughs) I was definitely in the throes of it. And the harder the case, the more I had to be up and moving and all the pumps that had to be involved and all the math that my brain had to be capable of was really what I thrived upon. And then my knees broke. I've had six surgeries, so they're fully reconstructed. I don't beep when I go through TSA checks, thankfully, but I could. So I had to pivot again. And that's when I did, I was an adjunct prof at my alma mater at Manor College and absolutely adored it. I'm still in touch with a lot of my former students. I'm watching them just thrive and become these incredible nurses, which is so, and on to vet school, actually, it's so cool to have that kind of, hey, I hung out with them at one point and hopefully they learned something. It was more of like, okay, that impetus to still want to give and do and be more was always there. And I was also missing, at this point now, I have two kids, right? I, my daughter's now 13, my son's eight. I missed a lot. So being in there in the hospital for, you know, 12, 14 hour shifts, and that's a common thing for many of my compatriots in this field. I'm not the only one, but all right, physically, I can't do this much longer. Mentally, I can't do it much longer. And I have so much more to give. And that was 2020. A really good time to make that life change, right? Right in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) But honestly, it goes back to your initial question of incorrigibly optimistic, right? Well, it's now or never. So there's all these dark storm clouds, but there's light in there. There's definitely silver linings and I'm going to find it and I'm going to mine it and make it work. So that's what I did. Thank you for that. Has anyone ever mentioned, did you pick up a Canadian accent when you were up there? Oh yeah. I, I feel like I picked it up just in like little <laughs> spots through conversation. I'm like, oh, I actually do hear that. So I just celebrated a birthday over the weekend and I was talking to all my cousins are still up in Vancouver. They've lived there their whole lives. So whenever I talk to my friends and family that are Canadian, I just <laughs> it like recharges. And, yeah. And I'll say process and I don't know what you're talking about and I don't even realize it. So thank you for calling me on it. That's the one accent I picked up, but I've lived in New England and Florida and grew up around Philadelphia. And I say water. I do not say water. So, <laughs> but my mother does. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I had to derail us for a second, but there was three, I guess, four keywords that I want to unpack and like, let you kind of just riff and go through why those are so important. So inspire, instruct, impact, and then together. We've spent a long time, Caitlin, my partner and I, we've been friends for nearly two decades. And we really wanted something that we felt at our core and that would resonate with everyone. And I'm a big fan of alliteration. If you see us on social or read our, I love it. So it's maybe something I need to work on. But really with inspiration, for me, it's something that gets me through the day, the week, the month, the year, you know, things people, events, nature. What is it that inspires you to do more? And it's not the opposite of motivation. They work intrinsically, right? But inspiration for me is very internal. What's going to get me up in the morning? So how can I provide that for someone else? And that's where that one came from. Instruct, we like to teach. And life's never going to stop doing that for all of us. You know, my gosh, have I learned a ton pivoting into this role. I didn't know anything about SEO and tax brackets and how to formulate a W-9 and all the legal logistics of LLCs. I learned, (laughs) had to do it quickly. But that for me was, it's not just for what can we provide for others, but what will we continue to do for ourselves and for each other? And then impact. How little can we have on the planet and how much can we have on each other? And that's two very important things for both Caitlin and I is we are very eco-conscious. Anytime we ship things to people, it's through recycled materials and low carbon footprint as much as we can. A lot of the instruction we do is is about repurposing and utilizing different things within the practice that you already have, right? So how can you make your presence felt without damaging? And then how can you pay that forward? And the last piece of together is I have a business partner for a very important reason. I could not do this on my own. And you work in veterinary medicine, any industry really, but here we are in vet med. You really, can you do anything on your own? You can, but should you? And I would really encourage you to think about that. Like if you're in a code in the ER, you need at minimum three people with, especially if it's a small patient, there is no way with the amount of physical contact, you are not a team. <laughs> you're, no, you're no longer coworkers at that point. You are really enmeshed together. And so f- 
taking all the three eyes, we all do all of that together. And that's when it's all felt much more poignantly and it makes a difference when you do it all together. It just makes sense. Going it on our own, that's, that's not what this is about. I was a competitive swimmer for years and I don't want to compete anymore. That's not the goal. I'm not here to win. I'm here for the industry and for the people in it and our patients to thrive, not just survive. And to do that, I need to do it with everyone else. Totally. And there's a number of different directions that we're going to go in. But one of them I ask you to chat on was just you and Caitlin, your co-founder. And we mentioned from the top, so you guys started this fairly recently. And I, as someone that merged and had a partnership in 2020 as well, similar kind of roles. But You feel me, right? (laughs) Yeah. I just wanted to kind of chat through. You mentioned something that was really cool about being a mirror to each other. And just kind of how you two interact, had those conversations. Again, you've known each other for two decades. So you have at least the trust factor there. But I think especially as veterinary medicine continues to evolve and grow and expand, like the solo doctor is no longer there. And so for anyone that wants to do maybe private practice ownership, a lot of times you're going to find a partner. And so I just wanted to kind of let you share what you've learned, how you went through that. And yeah, I really love that mirror concept that you brought up. Well, thank you. It's one of my favorite metaphors. I use it a lot. And Caitlin truly is my mirror where she definitely thinks things through in a way that sometimes my brain just doesn't. It's honestly like having a marriage of sorts, right? And that's really what I tie it into. Like any relationship that is this powerful and this important, you treat with that same reverence, right? So yes, we went and we drew up all the partnership documentation and have it all notarized and that's legal because we want to make sure that we respect the working relationship and honor the friendship. And that's very different. And we want to make sure that they are always present. We can't separate our working selves from our personal selves. But in some instances, it's like, all right, we need to put that hat on of where this is all about EBT. And this is not about what's going on with the kids and how's the family and all that kind of stuff. That's equally important to us because we've known each other for so long and been with each other through so much. And again, that respect and honor is really what it's about. And if I'm in a position where all I can see is this, and I try very hard not to, but sometimes you do get that. You're so focused on a goal that you lose sight of what's happening around you. That's the, excuse me, have you forgotten that you have all of these other things to do? And have you taken into account this? And maybe we need to consider this. And that's the accountability factor, right? And we do that for each other. So if I'm immersed in doing a bunch of different content and, oops, I forgot to send out a couple invoices. Oh, that's Caitlin's job, but I forgot to mention it. There's no communication. That was the hard part at first, right? You can't text with each other. This is not a texting conversation. You know, emotions get lost. Email is also not a great way to do it. You actually have to talk to one another. We are not in the same state. She's in New Jersey. I'm in Pennsylvania. We're about 45 minutes apart. So it became a lot more phone calls. We were Zooming before it became a big thing, right? Or we're actually on Teams a lot. That was where we had to pivot for the company. I was like, this is no big thing. We do this all the time. Fair, you do get fatigue. I feel that. But really, it comes back to those three things, Isaiah. Really, it's the respect, the honor, and the accountability. And I have friends that are doing their own consulting companies or coaching businesses on their own. They're like, oh, you're so lucky to have Caitlin. I sit there. I'm like, you are so right. I mean, for so many different reasons. I joke that she's the herder of all of my cats, which is no easy job. We came up with our own titles, the visionary officer, because I have these grandiose ideas. And she's the one that's like, let me reel you back in, pull on the lifeline and let's say, okay, yes, you're shooting for the moon, but there's a lot of beautiful stars here that we need to identify first. And I also push her. So I give her the freedom. Exactly. Yeah. To do that for each other where it's like, hey, this isn't just me. I mean, I'm vocal. She's very good at being the silent strength. And I'm like, hey, I'm here. How's it going? (laughs) She's like, all right, let's do your thing. But to champion her and the integrity and the intelligence and the constancy that she brings to the table is unparalleled. And it makes me better. And it makes EVT stand among its own. For those that would look at wanting to have a partnership that don't have the same depth of a relationship, what would you encourage? Are there certain things they should ask, conversations they should have? Because again, like you mentioned, it's a marriage. So you need to go into that with eyes wide open, understand all the great characteristics, but also the flaws because everyone is inherently flawed and we're not perfect, obviously. So any thoughts on that? 
Oh, for sure. And we've discovered a lot about each other we didn't know. And it's okay. All right. Can we live with this? Yeah. And that's what I would absolutely recommend is what are your hard and trues, yeses and nos, and then things that you can live with, right? So what are things about yourself that your principles and your moral standards and your codes that you're not going to compromise on? Well, then you need to make sure that who you're working with is adheres to those similar things versus, well, I like Coke and she likes Pepsi. That's not a big deal. <laughs> so what can you really focus on what is the most important and how that works? It actually goes into what we work on, really, is like, how do you communicate? What is your personality style like? I wouldn't call Caitlin introverted, and I definitely would call me extroverted. But I do appreciate my alone time, too. So does that work? Is it an opposites attract? Sometimes that's great. Is it too volatile? So really feel each other out. It's like a working interview, right? If you're in the same field, that may help or it may be beneficial to not be. Caitlin's non-veterinary at all. I dragged her into this, but she's not kicking and screaming yet. So I think we're okay. She comes from engineering and program management. But again, there's so many similarities throughout the professional industries. It's not the antithesis of one another. But definitely finding your commonalities, what brings you, makes you stronger, and then what could tear you apart. And making sure that you are very, very open about that. There can't be anything like that's a surprise because this is not just a relationship that's like, oh, this has been great. Okay, I'm going to move on now. Like you're invested. This is a professional commitment. So having those open, honest conversations is critical. Totally. And as we kind of transition back to working within veterinary teams, how do you view teams in encouraging them to leverage each other and perform at their best to make something that, again, the sum of the parts is something that is far greater than the individual. Because you're going to have people on teams that, oh, they have all these skill sets. You might feel like, oh, I don't have that. But what you bring to the table can be something that's very unique that when you blend that together can certainly be a massive benefit. Absolutely. I think you summed it up perfectly. Like the sum is greater than the individual. And do I have a lot of skills? Sure. But I haven't used them actively. Like I have my training mannequins here and I make sure I go to see as much as I can. But I know for a fact, even when I was in practice, even though I was really good at a lot of things, there's people better than me. I have a patient in front of me. Is my ego more important than their life? It better not be, right? So that's really what it comes down to is what are your priorities? Is it your success and your ego or is it your patient and your team in the hospital that's more important? Now, that is very different when we're talking about self-care, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But when you're looking at skills and the team success, especially in veterinary medicine, what it comes down to is your patients. And if I can't get this cat intubated, I'm not going to stand there for five minutes while it's oxygen deprived and turning cyanotic because I can get this in. Well, I'm struggling. I'm going to try twice and then someone else is going to take it on, right? I'm not going to mess around with this. It's too important. And that is a non-clinical skill, a human skill that is quite frequently, too frequently overlooked because they're soft skills. I hate that term. <laughs> it's, I mean, they're vitally important as much as our clinical skills because you need to be able to have that self-awareness as well as that spatial awareness and be able to communicate that within your internal communication as well as letting your team know that you're struggling. And I think that's part of the problem is, is we're always told that we have to be the best and perform the best. And it's about those performance reviews. Well, okay. Yes, we need to know that you can place catheters and that you can intubate and that you can do CPR appropriately. Absolutely. But do you have to be the best or do you need to make sure that there are people on the team that can back you up? right? So let's put it in a different way. I worked in oncology. So being in oncology, you have to be really good at catheter placement. But I'm going to tell you right now, IV catheter gods and venipuncture gods do not work on the same day in the veterinary hospital. They just don't. And we have to check blood work before we can place catheters. And inevitably, I'd have one day or the other. Some days they would be on the same. The heavens would be like, oh, everyone's working today. But sometimes that wouldn't happen. So again, I have a full day of appointments and I have sick patients, like they are battling lymphoma and all other sorts of carcinomas and things like that. I am not going to torture these poor creatures because I should be good at this. Yes, I should, but I'm not going to always have perfect days. And I know that Heather and Lori are out there and they're going to be able to nail this. Okay. So I'm going to, again, two, not three times, twice, and then you tap out and then your day goes smoothly. The patient does well and it's okay. The end result 
is what matters, right? So is that easy when you're 20 and like, I can take over the world? No, but it's funny, you know, as I'm sitting here, I just turned 40 and I'm going to own that because, hey, I'm 40 and I'm loving it. I know that I was that person. I know it. I flirted with that line between confidence and arrogance and went the wrong direction many times. But having had good friends that called me on that, thank you. That didn't feel great, but I learned from it. And that's what's really important to me is making sure that you work on those human skills as much as your clinical skills to benefit your team, but ultimately your patients. Yeah. And I know you do a lot of work with nurses tech, non-DVM staff, right? And like trying to make sure that that component, that aspect is there and that there is the freedom to communicate and feel okay saying like, maybe I'm not on top of my game today and not feel like you're going to be judged and say, oh, you know, from the owner or one of the veterinarians is like, we need to find a replacement there. Now, again, right now it's hard to find good help. So I I know (laughs) it's probably not top of mind where it's going to be that judgmental, but I've talked in my conversation with, I think it was Dr. Davis, who is another PA kind of Philly person. She mentioned how, you know, a lot of times in veterinary medicine, there's no favors as far as like holding each other up versus trying to just tear each other down. And to me, I find that very, very interesting. So I just wanted to talk to, and I like the idea of human skills, not soft skills, because soft skills, like, what is that? How did that get into our vernacular? To I where don't we say know. Soft skills? It's not like they're fluffy. I'm not going to sit on them. Like, yeah. what's conflict management like? Who likes a conflict? Nobody, right? And how do you deescalate a really horrible situation? And this kind of ties into how emotional this profession is, because a lot of us get into this because our hearts are like this big and we love animals and people suck. They don't really. There's a lot of us good folks out there. I'm talking to one right now, but it gets so hard to separate that. And that's, again, another human skill that isn't taught. We learn trig and home ec, but do we talk about mental health? Do we learn about financial planning? Do we figure out that, hey, depression is a thing and this is how you battle it? I mean, being a mom, a first-time mom, I had postpartum horrifically. And thankfully, I had a support system that was like, hey, you're not okay. Get some help. And it wasn't a bad thing, but I felt I failed. And I think it's the societal pressures. It's the perfectionism. It's we are all type A individuals in this industry for the most part of where I have to be the best and I have to do this. And you put all of those feelings, emotions, personality types, and the intensity that is medicine in a jar and shake it all up when it's really stressful. And what's going to happen, right? The eye of the storm is gone. This is just hurricane winds, right? This is 130 miles an hour all the time. So you need those storm chasers and those folks that can put the staff in the sand and say, hold on to this and hold on to me and then change it, right? So build up the levees and make sure that the infrastructure is sound and change it so that this is not the norm. It's the exception. Like you come in and this is what you are given to support you clinically in your physical skills. And this is what you're given for your mental and emotional well-being. And we don't separate it because it's linked. Your clinical skills suffer, so too does your mental health. Your mental health suffers, your clinical skills. It's a cyclical thing. And I don't want it to be vicious anymore. And competitiveness, yeah, it's a thing. And our profession is 87% female dominated. And if we all are cycling at the same time, oh gosh, don't talk about cycling. Just kidding, doing it. It can get really heavy and hard, right? And then there's all these medical degrees and all this. I've done this. I've worked here. I've done that. Get your ego out of the door. Like there's a lot. So how do we address that? Well, you say things that aren't typically talked about. I just did. And you take the stigmas away from it. And you take that, well, this is the way it's always been done. Does that mean it's how it should have been done? Because how's that working for you right now? Nobody's staying. Nobody's coming. So things need to change. And that's really what I'm looking to switch the focus from is recruitment. We need it. I'm not denying that there is a gaping wound in vet med for new veterinarians and technicians, nurses, assistants, CSRs. We need people. But the people that are already there need the support and recognition, too. And if we don't create cultures and environments in which they can grow and learn and not just survive their days, but thrive, they're not going to stay And we're not going to be able to convince anyone to come either. So that's really, it's a problem. Yes, it is. But there are a lot of us that are working together to change that. And it's coming. It's just slow. When you have to do all of this, like we're not just 
talking about changing like what EBT is doing from the training perspective, but you have Get Motivated with Wellbeing and you have Pausibilities doing their mentorship and DEI awareness and Black DVM Network and Pride BMC and, you know, the new leadership at AVMA and AHA. There's a lot coming. It just takes time to get us all together and to make that the conversation flows and is consistent. Yes, absolutely. But complimentary. Right. And we don't want to keep reinventing the wheel. If someone's done this, then great. Let's support that and get that into place and really focus on the folks that are there and giving them the love and the support that they need. Then that will in turn encourage folks to come join the teams. That was a lot. Of talking no, no, no. That's perfect. No, <laughs> that's exactly what this. I always joke, and people have heard me on this podcast. Like, my job is really easy. I ask questions and shut up and let people talk and share. <laughs> like, that is literally what a good podcaster should do. From that standpoint, is not just always have to interject like their opinion with everything and letting you go. So, three things that just came up, and I'm not sure how we want to go different directions. So, the idea of retaining versus attracting talent, the idea around recruiting and culture. Because I've had a lot of questions and I had one in the Facebook group around as a private practice owner, how do I recruit and build that culture and drive people that want to work with me when I have to compete with corporate and all these other benefits and all these other challenges? And then also leadership, self-care and hard conversations. I know you just kind of talked about that too, but I think that would be interesting because I think, again, this is, again, I'm doing what I just said not to do. I'm going to give my opinion and then you can rant on it. To me, if the narrative and what you're doing is different and you're not just trying to say, hey, we do these things, but if you say what you just talked about, like this is how we're going to change, this is how we're going to support our team. And from a leadership perspective, you explain that to people. I think veterinary medicine would be shocked at how many people would be interested in working at that specific location. And I will eventually record a kind of radio show talking about our experience as a small registered investment advisor that competes with lots of other people and how we've attracted and retained talent. And it's not always easy and there are hard conversations, but I will be very open with that and obviously try to give you that perspective. But I want to get into that retain versus attract. I think that's super important because it's a lot easier to, same way with like clients, it's a lot easier to retain people than go out and find new, right? If you have the trust, you have the relationship, let's just work on that. And then just kind of the recruiting culture and leadership dynamic of vet med. Not a light topic, Isaiah, right? Let's just drop it. <laughs> Let's see if I can lift it. All right, here we go. So really, I think you hit it. It's the leadership. And it's not just talking about it. It's rolling up your sleeves and showing up and getting dirty. You do the work too. And it's you are there at the meetings. And that's part of the issue too is what we've been ingrained in is, okay, here's your annual review. And then you have to review all of your teammates. And then you have to make all of these skills and you're a beginner, you're intermediate, you really haven't got to the advanced skill set. You're just, I hate the word just, I hate it. In that sense, when things are just, that's fine. Justice as it should be. But I'm just an assistant. I'm just a tech. What? I can't do my job without you. You're integral. No one is just anything. And that goes for management and doctors, everybody. No one is just anything. But you need to know what your role is, what's expected of you. And then if you're going to hold yourself here, management and things need to hold themselves here and expect that of you too, because people will rise to what you expect of them. And if you don't expect a lot, you're not going to get a lot, right? And you have to do that for yourself too. So if starting this new venture of mine, if I wanted to be connected with say yourself and some other folks within the and without of the industry too, because I'm glad that you had your opinion because we need an external perspective because how do you evolve if all you're looking at is what's in front of you? You need to have someone come in and say, hey, this is what's working. This is what isn't working. This is what I'm seeing. Right. So if you're in that process, right, and you're having those conversations and you're figuring this stuff out, then where do you go from there? So you have your leadership that then establishes the whole hierarchical system. So this person reports to this person reports to this person. Well, how do you get to those positions? What's the incentive? It's not money. We found that. Yes, we need to pay people more. That is crucial so they don't have to work three jobs. $40,000 a year if you're trying to be a sole provider and have kids and all the pets that we end up rescuing because their owners leave them there. It's not livable, right? So yes, financial, it is a part of it. But if you are constantly being focused on the individual of you are this instead of you are at this stage, 
It's a very different thing. So, and that goes for anybody in any position in the field. So Isaiah, you're not a beginner financial expert, right? You're an expert, but is that who you are or is that what you do? What defines you? So it's finding the why of the practice and of the management and then what you want the team to be. You have to have that vision and people have to share it. They have to believe in it. So if they can't believe in themselves, how are they going to believe in that? So how do you make that happen? Well, you focus on the process and train that and you coach the individual. That's the difference. And then if someone's been there, I've worked with some incredible humans that have been, oh my gosh, at the same practice for nearly 30 years. What made them stay? Are they recognized for their skills? Are they valued for it? Are they compensated appropriately? Do they teach others to find reward in that? Yeah. Okay. So that's what you're looking at. It's never going to be a one solution, right? It's always going to be multi-tiered. Fabulous CE is fabulous, but that's not it. That's not all of it. So, all right, you've been in anesthesia for this long. What do you know about it? Great. So we want to teach this cohort this. Can you speak to this? I don't really feel comfortable. Okay. Can you share what your ideas are? And then we give you credit for it as long as it's presented, but it's from you. Well, that would be great. Okay. And if you do this, then this is where we can see you going. We'd like to send you to get this extra certification. We'd love for you to be in charge of this department. How can you find things that's going to keep people incentivized and motivated? Pizza parties are great, except if you don't have time to eat them. So cap off how many patients you're seeing a day. You can. It's okay. Yes, we have to take the critical things. But you also have to take care of the people that take care of them. So it's making sure you have the support, the awareness, the incentivation, and then the vision to move forward. And you need to focus and know who you have, right? Because say you're at a practice with 200 plus people. That's a lot. Are you going to know everybody? Not know them, but you should know who they are, what they do, and what it looks like a day in their life. So I always would encourage managers, and if you're a practice owner, then get in there. Spend a day and figure out what it's like in the OR, because sometimes it's pure hell. If you're doing 16 cases a day and you haven't had a chance to pee and you're just like, okay, can I go now? Or if you're in internal medicine and everything is really, really sick and just kidding, they're no longer internal medicine, they have to go to oncology right? Or it's the ER and it's six o'clock on a Friday and crap hits the fan o'clock. Everything's coming in. Okay, get in there. What can you do? So invest your time, invest yourself, invest in your people. One thing that I just thought of is like, don't have the vision and that like fake energy. So it reminds me of like one of the first jobs I had, which is when I worked at Walmart and they have that fake clap that everyone hates, but they force them to do it. So when you try to do things or have a vision or you have these different things that you're saying, hey, this is our culture, this is what we believe in, and it's all fake and it's all BS, like people see through that in the same way, like that fake energy, like, hey, let's get fired up to be here. It's like, no, no one is excited to be here. Like, this is dumb, but you're forcing people to do this. And so hearing that, I was like, that takes me back to those little times where I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen, but <laughs> well, it's why do they do this? Right. Yeah. Going into that proverbial wormhole that it's always present right now is like if you're doing it just because it looks good, what's the point? You're not invested. It's not real. You're not authentic and no one's going to believe you. You just said that. And so that's what I was alluding to. Like roll your sleeves up and get dirty. Experience it. Know what's happening. Read the room and really give people not just what they want, what they need. Ask them. Don't just listen. Hear them. Hear what they're really saying and actively listen too, because we could be having a conversation and I'm telling you all the things that you want to hear, but I'm sitting there like this, like arms crossed and just chin down. Go ahead. Like my one eyebrow cocked, like, mm -hmm, sure. Now, if you aren't good at reading that language, you're like, oh, this is great. But someone's like, I don't think she means what she's okay. So you have to have that. So it's not easy. There's no way it's easy. But if you're really committed to change and to supporting and retaining people, that's what you got to do. If you build it, they will come. Field of Dreams got that right. If you build it the right way, if you start foundationally with, okay, this is actually what our mission statement is, our vision, our core values, and you live it, you provide the learning opportunities, you provide the training materials, you give the leadership support. You make sure that there are allocated breaks, that there are patient caps, that there are PTO, and it's separate from the sick thing. And it's hard. I don't even begin to try to understand health insurance and how that all works. That's not. Mm -mm. So I appreciate that I'm saying these things and I don't know the intricacies. 
But ideally, if you can do from the foundationals of the training support, the mental health, and not even just mental health, it's just health, a whole being. It's their physical and mental health is health. How are we supporting that, right? So if you make sure that you have those tenants in place and then build your medical group around that and educate your clientele that this is what we do, this is who we are, this is what we expect of ourselves and of you, change will happen. Having a clearly defined career path, how many practices that are privately owned do you feel like explain what that looks like for someone? Well, I have had a pretty set career path, but I'm trying to, how many practices have I worked at? Let's see. I was at the last one for eight years. I don't count the nine months I did sales because it was just a blip on the radar. I met some really incredible people there, but a lot of them, they were all privately owned who I worked for. And I think that maybe says something because those that have that personal investiture tend to invest more in the people that work for them. And that being said, that is changing. I work with a lot of folks in bigger organizations that are like, we came from the small sector and we went into the corporate because we wanted to elicit change on a bigger level. And that's happening. It's harder when you have a hundred clinics with a hundred plus people at all of them, but they are doing it. And I think that having these incredible, powerful movements in the past four and five years has really opened everyone's hearts and minds to a place that we can't go back from. Everyone's like, we're going to go back to normal. I'm like, back to what? I don't want to go back. We can't. You literally cannot go backwards. Life is forward. So it's a new normal. What's that going to look like? And how are we going to make it a place that is sustainable, equitable, and inclusive? So I think that small practices, privately owned practices, they have the right ideas and corporates are learning from that, that we can't just make, treat people as numbers. And it's coming. Again, it's change. It's slow. And it's not as fast as any of us would like. And there's things that are wrong. We have these conversations, right? And we're like, okay, this has to change. So how can we make that happen? All right, let's have these conversations and let's piss some people off. But then come back to the table and be like, I made you mad. Why? Why did that upset you? And okay, then I will own what I said. And if that was incorrect, absolutely, truly apologize for it. How can we figure this path out together? Move forward instead of this collision of minds that isn't working. So is it fixed? Is it better? Not yet. Not by a long shot. And private practices have their own you know, foibles as well. So it's, I think place by place. And it depends on who's there and how you're invested in it too. What are you giving back? And what are you taking home? Are you able to, when you shut the door at home to go to work, are you leaving stuff at home or, and vice versa? When you're shutting the door as you leave the hospital, are you leaving it there or are you taking it home? And that's another whole conversation about how you not compartmentalize because that can get dangerous, but how to create those boundaries that are helpful from all sides and aspects, management and individuals and onward and onward. What are the hard conversations that teams need to have in veterinary medicine today that maybe they aren't having yet or are just starting to? It really depends on where you're at and in individual practices of what's happening there. I think it's making sure that mental health is not separate from overall health. It's a thing and we need to recognize it. And if someone recognizing that someone is They've called out three times that week and they never have before. That's a problem, right? Or you see people crying at work because they're so stressed. That is a problem. So I think it's one of the biggest problems right now is we aren't supporting the teams that we have enough and we're focusing on getting more people in there instead of building what we have. That's the biggest thing I would like to see change. And alongside that is that health, it's a crisis, right? I mean, look what happened in the past six months. We lost nearly a dozen that we know of in the veterinary profession to suicide alone. That's devastating. And I think the other part of it too is that's one hard conversation, right? The support and the health of our current existing teams. And then making sure that we're having those other conversations too, that there is a lot that's been happening societally that is there. We can't ignore that just because we're inside a veterinary hospital. It's the third whitest profession in the country. Yeah. Okay. And how are we accepting of non-binary and other gender identities and sexual orientations? Do we talk about it? <gasps> no. 
you know, and we don't talk about women's health and rights and things of that regard. It's just all those things that have been taboo. Now, I'm not saying that, hey, let's have a PSA in the middle of the treatment floor. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is as much of a part of the human skills as communication and learning styles and how we de-escalate conversations, we need to talk about inequity. And it's not the same as inequality, right? And we need to talk about diversity and why that's a thing. You know, I just got a trolling post on one of our posts from the other day where it was like, oh, sure, let's talk about diversity. And then it takes away from all of us white folks. I'm like, do you miss the message? You know, <laughs> you completely miss the point. And it's really something that until it becomes just a part of the vernacular where I'm wearing a shirt talking to you today that says love is love, because that's it. But that doesn't take away from the struggles that those groups have had, those individuals that, hey, I'm sitting here as a white, cisgender, heterosexual woman. Now, women's rights, we're not there yet. I mean, I'm following the women's national team for their equal pay for sure. But I have a ton of privilege that I didn't do anything to earn. So how can you then say, if you're in a similar seat as mine, that anyone doesn't deserve what we have? Right. Equality is giving everyone the same thing, but that doesn't work because some others need more than other groups. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that conversation of what's always been done is what should be are you? No, absolutely not. So that's another part of the conversation that I want to see become mainstream. Let's talk about racial disparity. Let's talk about discrimination and why that's not okay and how we're going to learn and how to make that different. And that way we are as open and inclusive as we should be. And that's not easy for some folks. And I've had to unlearn a lot and relearn. And I'm going to constantly be doing that. I'm going to put my foot in my mouth and realize that, oh, okay, I didn't wash my shoes very well. All right. So I need to sit back, read more, shut up and listen. And then when I see something happening, like there was something at our neighborhood pool where they were using, oh, that's so gay as a derogatory slur. I was like, that's not a thing. That's how someone identifies and that's their lifestyle. And that is not an insult. Do you know what that, what you just said? It was a 16-year-old girl. I knew her mother. It was okay. <laughs> but it was something that needed to be addressed. We've been silent for too long on so many things. And I know I'm one of those. And it's not that woke culture. It's I'm learning and evolving. And that's what everyone needs to be doing. Or our human race is in serious trouble. Yeah. I was going to ask if there's anything that we haven't touched on or talked about that you want to dive into? I feel like some of what we just went through there might be those it. topics. Yeah. yeah. I think we've hit on a lot of, and I go back to the, yes, I'm in veterinary medicine, but these are universal human traits, human skills that we need to learn. How to teach one another, how to communicate with one another, how to make sure that the integration and acceptance of what a culture is, is not separate from what the skills they need to learn. It's a part of the process. So it's really, I think for me, going back to what the three eyes of EVT are is just how I'm going to live my life and how I'm going to run my company and how I would like to see the rest of the world come to fruition in is inspiring, instructing and impacting together. And it's funny, I was I forget where I saw it, but something about you can't empower anyone. And I had to chuckle. I was like, exactly. That's why we named it Empowering Veterinary Teams. I can't empower you, Isaiah, but I can give you the tools and the train the skills and coach you to empower yourself. And that's what we're aiming to do. I love it. You know, the next question I'm going to ask, which is the one that I close things with, which is allowing you to kind of ask anything of me. And then we can have a little bit of a conversation around that. If it makes sense, if it's something that's a quick, short, sweet answer, then, then we can just leave it. But anything top of mind that you want to dive into or ask? It is. It's kind of silly, but kind of not. So, and it's a few parts. So my question is, do you have any tattoos? And the second half of that is if yes, what are they and why? And if it's no, then why not? And would you ever consider getting one? And what would that be? All great questions. I do not. I have joked that if I was in a different profession, maybe I would have. I would absolutely get one. I think my wife is like, that ship has sailed. She has tattoos, <laughs> which is funny in full disclosure. So she does, but I don't. But no, I think I would. My biggest thing is I'd want them to look really good. So I'd probably spend way too much money. But yeah, I mean, I've always 
talked about and I actually made a deal with my brother, which we ended up not doing, but like the family crest, like for me, just seeing like family values and some of the things that are there, which the crest was basically, uh, I'm trying to think of what the translation, the way it would be. It's basically like always forward. So basically I like the idea of, of what that is, is again, going back to, you can't control the past. You can certainly make changes. A lot of what you just had talked about and mentioning in a lot of different issues is, Hey, you can't, change maybe things that you did in the past that when you didn't know better, but if you have been informed and you understand and like, Hey, these things are things that I need to improve and involve as a person, then yeah, I think that makes sense. So yeah, I mean, I would love to have a full sleeve candidly and have, I would, and I think I could now, I see that. but <laughs> I do not. And I doubt I ever will just because I'm probably, when I think about, okay, the cost of doing that versus where else that money could go. And I just, that's where my mind goes is like, what's the opportunity cost of where those funds can go and do for other things? Is it, is it spending that money? So it's on me or is it, Hey, as a family, we could go do these other things. Cause again, I feel like I would want it to be like really good. And I've never had one. I don't know. Maybe I'd be a chicken and be like, yeah, this is painful. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. I love it though. And you hit it too for me. I mean, I have several pieces and each one has a story and yours, if you ever do get it, does. And that's why I asked because it's, you're wearing yourself and your art and your expression literally on your sleeve. And I think that's part of the allure for me. So it was just a great story. And I think your wife, I'd chat with her about maybe hopping back on the ship and putting the sails up. I think you could do it. We'll see. So. I was told in the podcast today, I got approval. <laughs> no! We're good. No, I'm just no. You'll blame it. Up. It's fine. I can handle it. No, no, no. I'm not going to pass the blame. <laughs> but yeah, for me, I think there's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. To be determined. Yeah, I just feel like there's too many other things that I want to go do prior to that. And that is valid. Yeah. And go do that. That's why it's just a fun question I like to ask. Yeah. You know, it's I was there's an article like we're one of the only countries that asks what everyone does for a living is like a get to know you question. And some people are like, That's really rude, actually. I hate that question. So I was like, Right. I'm like, I don't want you to ask me what I should do with my dog. I really don't. So that's become my get to. Do you have any tattoos? <laughs> like, here are all of mine. I've got a bunch. My favorite question is what has you excited? And I think I asked you that when we first connected, because I don't care. Like, I think the game should be as people start to interact more and more in a post COVID world. How long can it be in a conversation before you ever realize what that person does for a living and try to delay that as long as possible? And you will probably find out so much more about them and have a better relationship versus, oh, you're an attorney. I have no idea what to ask you. That sounds like a boring job and I would never want to do it. And that's what's going in Isaiah's mind. So then how do I then continue that conversation when that's what I'm thinking versus, oh, they just said that they took a trip or did something or whatever, or they just had a kid or they just moved or I don't know. There's just other things that maybe they're really jazzed about in the fact that no one probably asked them that question. And then they're going to remember you because you ask a good question where they talk to other people and there's like, oh, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And Absolutely. I was at a wedding and my brother worked at the Indianapolis Zoo at the time that's for a little awesome. bit, which cool job. He basically didn't make any money, but that's a whole side story. <laughs> <laughs> but every time people would ask him at the wedding, it was a family wedding with people we hadn't seen in a while. What do you do? Oh, I work at the Indianapolis Zoo. Tons of conversation questions. They asked me, what do you do? Oh, I own a financial advising company. Oh, like, what do I say next? It's like, oh, well, I don't want him to talk about money and ask me questions. I'm like, that's not what I'm going to do. I don't care. That's just no. what I do for a living, but it's totally fine. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were chatting about earlier. It's like what you do doesn't define who you are. And I love that question when you asked it, like, what makes you excited? I'm like, and I think I said everything, <laughs> you know, I'm just so happy about stuff and see, incorrigibly optimistic, but I would love to. And I think I asked you too, I'm like, yeah, how long did it take you to grow that beard? That's awesome. And why is your hair so short or things like that? And just what's your why? Mm-hmm. And the beard, and I don't know if I actually ever answered that on here, but it was when we found out we were having a son is when I started growing it out. And so I have committed that if we do have a daughter in the future, I will shave it and go back to being clean shave, even though I would look like a baby face. But if we have a son, maybe I'll keep it for the future. But there are days where I'm like, I just want to go back to being clean shaven. But I'm like, I have to wait. I have to wait. We have to see. So. Oh, that's fantastic. And see, we shall see. what a great story. I would not have known. Yeah. Yeah. So good ask, questions. I like it. Ask the good questions. Yes, which you have done. Thank you so much. Yeah. And one last thing, and it was actually one of the questions on here and we chatted on it a little bit was the whole idea of just, I think that's super important where I felt and caught myself saying that when people are like, I'm just an associate and they have no desire of practice ownership. And on this podcast, people know I talk about practice ownership as, as something that if that's something you want and you foresee in your future, do not give up on it. Even though it might be kind of challenging right now, there are really good opportunities. 
and I've kept myself, oh, you just want to be an associate. It's like, well, shoot, like there's a lot of effort and skill and all that stuff. And that's like diminishing all the work that was done. So I appreciate you bringing that up. It is hard. Because it's ingrained. And that's, I think, part of why I like to point it out, because I say it, we all do. But until you practice that awareness, and I'm challenging myself that all the time, and I do this with my kids, because I was a swimmer because I don't belong on land. I'm very klutzy, and my poor daughter is like her mother in that regard. And it's like spatial awareness, (laughs) spatial awareness. (laughs) And it's something I constantly work on. And so in other realms, it's just awareness. And just when you change the conversation. And I think that's maybe why I love words so much. I mean, I'm a voracious reader, but again, it's my grams was like, okay, so do the work and say the words and know what they mean because they have impact. That sticks and stones may break my bones. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's ever had a bullying episode knows that that is not true. So your words matter. You matter. And no one is just anything. Totally. Thank you for the time. Yeah. Really, really appreciate it. For people, what's a good handoff? Where would you send them? How do they connect with you? I know you've, oh, you, sure. you've been all over the place. We didn't talk about the stuff you did with Vet Candy, which is awesome. But yeah, just let people know. So we will be actually at all of the Fetch DVM 360 conferences the next few months. So you can find us live or virtually there. But if you want to connect with us directly, hello at empvet.team, empoweringveterinaryteams.com is our website. And we're all over social. So if you see the logo EVT with black, blue, purple, and green squares, that's us. Instagram, LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter a little bit, and Facebook. You can find us there. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, Isaiah. Can't wait to talk with you again. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.